Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Oppression of the widow, oppression of the poor, oppression of foreigners, all of these horrible, horrible sins. You would think, man, it can't get any worse. Oh, yes, it can. What does a God-pleasing life look like? Easy, transparent, fun, compassionate. A God-pleasing life looks attractive. When you don't seek God, you can pursue those things, but not necessarily find them. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Chapter 5 of Jeremiah to explore an appalling and horrible thing. Let's join him now. Please open your Bibles to Jeremiah Chapter 5. Jeremiah Chapter 5. Once you're there, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and allow the Word of God to minister to us today. Father, we ask that the breath of the Spirit would take the words of this revelation and cause it to burn in our hearts. Father, we want our hearts to melt because of the, the fire of your word. Help us, Lord, not to become hardened, but Lord, help our hearts to become softer because of your word, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. God is going to speak through the prophet Jeremiah and we're going to see, we're going to see that God is going to talk about his word doing something that is either this or this in people's hearts. And we're going to see in this chapter as we go right through this chapter that he's going to list a whole lot of things that's going on in the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. And then eventually he's going to come right to the end of the chapter and he's going to make this, what I consider to be an amazing statement where he says, this is an appalling and a horrible thing. And I think it's going to catch you off guard because it does. When I look at this whole chapter and I look at the sins that it lists, I think well, they're pretty bad. And then when we get to, to all of that, it lists all of those things. It then says, but here is the horrible and appalling thing. So we won't rush ahead just yet, but we'll, we'll consider what we're seeing in this chapter. Now, as I've, as I've said before, the problem is in preaching Jeremiah is it sounds, if, if you do it too well, you, you can actually actually achieve the conviction that almost sounds like condemnation that not even Jeremiah was able to achieve because we are all sensitive new covenant Christians and our hearts are open and soft and so when we talk about a God wanting people to have open hearts to him and a heart that's not hardened toward him and a heart that is sensitive towards sin we should feel sensitive about our sin. And the problem is if, if I as the preacher or anyone else as the preacher does that too well, people can leave here not through the door but under the door feeling so beat up. And I'm aware of that. And I, I, I want to be very careful how we deal with the text. But at the same time, this is what I don't want to do with the text. I don't want to put the text through a funnel and make it come out the other end looking like something that wasn't when it started at the start of the funnel. I don't want this text to be used by us as a time of feel good. I want to understand what God wanted to say through Jeremiah to the people of Jeremiah's day. And having done that, I then want to look back as a New Testament Christian and go, what can I learn from that? So I don't want to distort the message of Scripture. So before we can get into what we're going to see here in chapter 5, because 
Boy, so far, we've had four chapters, more or less, where the prophet Jeremiah has been told by God, these people are sinners. These people are committing abominations. These people are doing utter wickedness. Oh, brother, how much more of this can we handle? And and so I, I want to preamble this by asking this question. If God is concerned about these things, and we're going to see what God is concerned about, Is it possible to please God? I mean, is he just so picky that nothing you do will ever please him? So here's the question. What is a God-pleasing life to look like? What does it look like? What does a life that thoroughly pleases God look like? Does it look... Well, because in a moment we're going to see exactly what it doesn't look like. What does a God-pleasing life look like? I pondered this. Because this is what I see in Scripture. A God-pleasing life looks. And I remembered what Jesus said, because most of this has got to come from Christ, because he's the only one who has lived a fully God-pleasing life. So this is what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. And I mean, we can look at this word easy and think not hard to do. And I guess in one respect that's true. But easy is also a sense in which you are at Ease. You are at ease. There are some people, you hang around them, you're not at ease. You're on edge. Anyone know anybody who does that to you? There are some people that they just put you at ease. One of my, fa- no, not one of my, my favourite writer, F.W. Boreham, he's got an entire essay that he's written on the virtue of wearing slippers. He says, if you ever get invited to someone's house and they come to the door wearing their slippers, you know you're in for a good night. You just know what sort of person this is. A life that is God-pleasing looks at ease. Why? Because you're at ease with God. You're not on edge with God. Remember when Adam and Eve first sinned and God, the Bible says, came down in the cool of the day to walk with Adam. Adam hid. He wasn't at ease. But if you're at peace with God, you're at ease with God. You're at ease. There's an ease. When stuff goes wrong in your life and you know God's in control, that's okay. It'll work out. You're at ease. A God-pleasing life is a life of ease. What does a God-pleasing life look like? It looks like fun. What happens when you're having fun? Someone tell me. You smile. So when you're having fun, what does it look like? Laughing, enjoyment, pleasure. Someone starts out laughing. (laughs) See, it worked. It's infectious. When you're having fun and passion. I've now got this new saying. Um, When I go to the cupboard and I see a biscuit on the floor of the the pantry, I I ask myself this question. Would Bear Grylls eat that? I go, well, it won't kill me. If he'd eat it, it won't. (laughs) Because I've seen him eat some stuff. Stuart, I can't get my head around the fact he picked up elephant poo one day. And, oh, oh dear. Anyway, now the reason I say I bring Bear Grylls into the picture is because he's a, he's a Jesus follower. He, he, he's done the Alpha course. He advertises for Alpha. You, you ever notice whenever he jumps out of a hot air balloon or, a, or a, a Jumbo 747 out the back door, he always does this? He, he's, a, he's a Christian. He's a... And, and you know, I, I say it because when he's in the middle of the Sahara or the Calamari Desert or wherever he is, Calamari. 
Just a little test to see if you're listening. <laughs> For those that didn't get that, it's the Kalahari. But I just wanted to see who was listening. Anyway, but it looks like he's actually having fun. It looks like he's having fun. And, and I saw him going down the Colorado River out of the Sierras in Nevada and, and he was saying, it's really important that you go feet first, not head first, because you don't want to knock yourself unconscious. But I'm thinking, yeah, but what if there's something sticking up in the water and you're going feet? This could be... <laughs> but he looks like he's having fun. And if you think about it, if you're a parent and you've got your children there and they're in your backyard, in their own backyard, and they're playing. You're sitting on your deck, you're drinking your tea, you're drinking your coffee, whatever, and your children are there and they're laughing and they're playing and they're happy and no one's squabbling. How do you feel as a parent? Content. How do you think God, the ultimate parent, feels when we, his children, enjoy his creation? Enjoy one of the most precious gifts he's given us, time. When we interact and we don't squabble and we have fun. A God-pleasing life is a life of fun. And for those that need to take notes on, note to self, have fun. It sounds like laughing. Some of you need to get a joke book and read it. Some of you, you know, we do, we need to have fun. We need to have fun. What else does it look like? It looks pleasurable. It looks pleasurable. What do you do that you enjoy, that you derive pleasure from? A, a life that's pleasing to God is exciting. It's a life that takes risks. It's a life that, that will, will start out and, and, and some of us need to take a risk. Some of us are so afraid to fail, we won't try anything. But it's not until you get out into the risk zone that you discover life can be exciting. And I've got to tell you, having been married now for 22 years, it is exciting. It's exciting. It was the biggest risk I ever took. But it's paid off. <laughs> having children's a risk, a healthy risk. And it's compassion. A life that's pleasing to God is a, is a compassionate life. And, and as I grow older and hopefully wiser, I want to become more compassionate. I'm not there yet. I'm still blithering and I'm blind and I'm deaf and, and people, people tell me things and I'm not picking up the cues and I'm not hearing because I'm not compassionate enough yet. But I want to be a life that's compassionate. And happy, happy. Now I grew up in a, a somewhat of a church culture where it, was, where it was said openly something like this. As a Christian, you may not be happy, but you can be full of joy. <laughs> and I've discovered that if you're full of joy, you're going to be happy. Yeah, well that's all right for you carnal Christians. Happiness, happiness, happiness. Not like me, I've got the joy. Oh, yeah. Give me a break. So I sum it up by this. You, you meet a person who's living that way and their life looks attractive. This is somebody you'd want to be friends with. This is somebody you'd want to get to know. Their life looks attractive. They don't 
always see the negative. And this is not a be positive thing. This is just, just take the, the message of Scripture, live it out, live the fruit of the Spirit, and you'll be living an attractive life. So as we look at this passage in Jeremiah, I need you to understand we are now going to contrast everything we've just seen. <laughs> everything we've just seen. Now, again, I just want to emphasize, if you live a God-pleasing life, all of those qualities can be yours. They can. You, can. you can know an ease, a peace, a joy, a happiness, excitement, pleasure and so on. So now let's read Jeremiah chapter 5. We're starting from verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take notes. Search her squares to see if you can find a man. One who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her. Isn't this amazing? In the whole city of Jerusalem, not one person. God says, run. See if you can find one. I'm fed up. See if you can find one person whose heart is right before me. Now, this is amazing because this is, this is written during the reign of King Josiah. And Josiah was known as a good king, but not even he qualifies. And as I got thinking about this, I thought, well, what about Jeremiah? Not even Jeremiah qualifies. And later on, we're going to read Jeremiah having, having this awful whinge about how he felt God was treating him. And I thought, oh, man, well, see if you can find one, God says. Doesn't that remind us of Romans 3.10? There's none righteous, not one. Not, not one of us deserve God to do anything for us. Not one of us. Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, as we've heard this morning. So it goes on in verse 2, Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. So what we have there is a pretense of being religious. O Lord, verse 3, do, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. Wow. So God is looking for people who are searching for him. God is looking. And you know, the message of the New Testament is this. There are none. There are none who are righteous. There are none who seek God. None. And you could think, but hang on, there are, there are churches that meet on a Sunday and they have what's called seeker services designed for those who are seeking God. The Bible says no one's seeking God. No one's seeking God. So, so you think, no, but I've met people who are, who are open and they're seeking, they're asking questions. I'll let you on a little insight. This is what God's word says. I, the Lord, have searched them out. I have found them. And now they seek me. If you're here today, it's not because you woke up one morning and got smart. You are here today because God found you. And if your eyes have been opened, God has done that. You haven't done it for yourself. It's an amazing New Testament truth. God is seeking those who seek him. Now look what the type of heart God was after. We read that in Romans 3.11. No one seeks for God. No one. Now, you notice it says in verse 3, 
the type of heart God is after. A heart that seeks God is a heart that can be corrected. Do you pray that? God, change me, correct me, help me to be all that you want me to be. I want to live a God-pleasing life. I want to have the kind of fun God wants me to have. I want to have the excitement God wants me to have. For that to happen, God's got to do something in my heart. I've got to change. Something's got to happen. And God says here, the people, they refused to take correction. They refused to repent. Wow, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Jeremiah goes on in verse 4 and he says, but perhaps the reason is these, these people don't see God is because they're poor. And so he goes on, verse 5 and 6, says, I went to the great, or those who are educated, those who are well-to-do. And God says, nope, the poor don't seek me, the well-to-do don't seek me, no one is seeking me. And he goes on down uh, to th- this uh, amazing statement and, and you'd think, surely God's exaggerating. But it, it says down in verse 7, How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaking, forsaken me. Well, now we're going to get a clue. Now I want you to notice, these are the list of sins God has given. And, and he thinks these are terrible sins. And here's one of them. Your children have forsaken me. Well, who, who's to blame for this? Parents. Well, what's the role of parents here? To teach their children to be thankful to God, to honour God, to seek God. And God says, when a society is so corrupt, the result is that children who should be taught to love me, to seek me, to serve me, don't know me. God finds that really, really a terrible situation. And it goes on and he kind of gives a clue. Um, It says, when when I fed them to the full, this is verse 7, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. Now, here's a point which is kind of going to be really hard for what's called our postmodern audience, that is, people who don't believe there's anything that's true, to accept, and that's this. Not every desire you have should be acted upon. Well, you know, we're all subject to sin and its temptations. We're all going to have a temptation to do something And it's going to create a strong desire in our heart. And this is what it says in verse 8. You read read this. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbour's wife. What a picture. They wanted to commit adultery. They just did. After all, that's what their desires told them. And you must be true to your desires. We hear that today. Well, I can't help my feelings. Rubbish. Rubbish. Of course you can help your feelings. Not every desire you have should be acted upon. Man, this world would be chaos if we lived with that as our creed. So here God is saying just because you have these incredible lusts doesn't mean you should act upon them. Now I'm thinking, and and you could be forgiven for thinking, that sexual sin is about as horrible as it can get. Um, God seems to have some other things to say in this regard because we go up to verse 10 and he talks about, as we read through there, uh, verse 10, 11 and 12, that really the source of, of their sin and corruption was, was this thing called Baalism. Baalism was the idea that 
uh, there was a male god and a female god, and that if you had, then they would set up these poles, these, these Asherah poles, and uh, they usually set them up on hills overlooking the valleys where your farms were, and you would go up with a temple prostitute, a whore, it says in verse 7, and you would commit an act of sexual immorality as an act of fertility, and because you'd offered that to the God, you would have fertile crops. And this is what? The prophets of Baal, who spoke in the name of Yahweh, were saying. This is what God says. I've got to tell you, you read these next few verses, and God is seething. He is so angry. And again, I think we've got to get our head around a passionate God. God is passionate. He's not indifferent. This is something that breaks his heart when people live this way. So we read in, uh, down in verse 14 that God's now going to do something with Jeremiah. And why? It says in verse 12, They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said he will do nothing God doesn't care. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. Right? This is what the prophets were saying. Next verse, verse 13. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. And here's a point. You can always find a prophet who will tell you what you want to hear. You can find a prophet who will tell you what you want to hear. You want to leave your wife and run off with another woman. I'm sure someone can pull out a word of God for you. It won't be the real word of God. But you can find someone somewhere to justify it. Someone somewhere will tell you it's okay. I, I know that if I want to be faithful to the word of God, I'm going to say things that not everybody's going to want to hear. Now, I know it wasn't that long ago I had somebody who had left their spouse, came here with someone other than their spouse with a view to having me validate their relationship and I'm upholding marriage I'm upholding morality and you know from that Sunday I've not seen them again and I think gee what a lousy church growth pastor I am but I don't know if I want to go the other way tell people what they want to hear tell people if they just apply the word they can have whatever they want I don't think that's God's word at all I think as you get into God's word, you'll realise it's actually the other way around. You, you get deeper into this, you've got to give God what he wants. Just a thought. So you can always find someone who will tell you what you want to hear. And so now God was going to do something through Jeremiah. And this is what he says in verse 14. Because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire. And this people would, and fire shall consume them. Now, so we're going to contrast now. God is saying what Jeremiah is going to do is going to sound completely in contrast to what your own prophets are telling you. And if you're not used to the word of God and you hear the word of God, it can sound like that. It can sound so shocking. And we read on in the following verses that Jeremiah again talks about the impending doom that's coming upon them, that would come from Babylon, as we know. So we come down to verse 18, and it says this, But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. So no matter how angry God was, no matter how determined God was to get his people to come back to him, 
he says, I'm not going to punish you fully. So here's the point. With God, there's always hope. With God. You, 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 may, have, you may have run a million miles from God, but I'll tell you now, you're just one step away from him. As long as that steps toward him, not in the direction you're going. There's always hope with God. The righteous fall seven times but get up again. Doesn't We all stumble. We all make mistakes. We're all going to blow it. But we're only one step away from God no matter how far we go. God always invites us back. Always invites us back. So God will not make a full end of his people. So we come to verse 21 and we see that the things of God are not always obvious. They're not always obvious. Now, I've heard people say that when God speaks, it's very obvious. Well, not to me, it's not. When God speaks, sometimes it's a still, small, quiet voice that I have to, in order to hear it, I have to be still. I have to quiet the noise and the clutter and the chaos of my mind and my world and get still to hear what God is gently saying. What God is saying is not always obvious. Not always obvious. Do you have, do you have times of solitude? Do you have times of stillness? Do you treat that as a spiritual discipline? See here it says in verse 21, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have ears but do not see. Who have, uh, sorry, who have eyes but do not see, sorry. Uh, who have ears but hear not. Wow. Who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. You see, it sounds to me like what God really wants to say to his people in closeness, it takes spiritual perception. There's something that has to be perceived within us. Now we read on in this section and we see in verse 23, it says, but this people has a stubborn and a rebellious heart. They've turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their heart, verse 24, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives, here's why they should fear the Lord their God, who gives rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Wow, they become ungrateful. They stop thanking God. And as we heard Wendy share this morning, Sometimes we think we've got difficulties and problems when, in fact, in light of what others have to face, <laughs> nothing. In other words, I reckon we've got something to be grateful for. We've got something to be rather thankful about. We should be thankful. Israel had stopped fearing God. They had stopped being grateful. So here's the question. What do you need to thank God for today? What do you need to thank God for today? Please consider that. And as we bring this to a close, look at this. It says this, verse 25. You may want to underline this and highlight this and have this as your fridge magnet. Your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. You see, the people were sinning thinking that this, they were going to get the very things they wanted, fun, happiness, enjoyment, pleasure. And in fact, their sin had deprived them of those very things. And we can think the same. God's against me having fun. He's against me enjoying. God's against me, not for me. And that's a lie of Satan. 
we read on uh, that the wicked, it goes on in the next uh, verse 26, 27 and 28, that the wicked had grown so good at wickedness, they had become, it says, fat and full of deceit. They have grown rich. Why? Because in their spiritual arrogance, they began to oppress vulnerable people. The poor, it says. The foreigner. Widows. The very people that need to be looked after. Spiritual arrogance leads to the oppression of vulnerable people. That's one of the reasons why we should all be deeply concerned about abortion in our society. Because the unborn are the most vulnerable. It's one reason why we should be concerned about so-called voluntary euthanasia. Because the elderly and the frail and the terminally ill are also vulnerable within our society and they deserve dignity, not injection. We need to be very careful about this. So you would think, gone through all this list of sexual immorality, idolatry, false prophets, false sexual practice, believing that it was going to conjure some blessing, oppression of the widow, oppression of the poor, oppression of foreigners, all of these horrible, horrible sins. You would think, man, it can't get any worse. Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. And here we go as we bring it right to the end. This is where we're going to see that there was something that they were doing that was angering God beyond this. An appalling and a horrible thing, it says. I don't know anywhere else in Scripture where it uses that vocabulary. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. Verse 30, and here it is. You're kind of ready for it. We've gone through sexual immorality. We've gone through murder. We've gone through idolatry. We've gone through oppression of the, the vulnerable. Oh, man, this has got to be a vile sin and appalling and a horrible thing. What is it? Verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely. Huh? What? Huh? That's it? Those people who claim to know God and speak on his behalf were not speaking the word of God. And you can think, well, boy, Andrew, that really puts you in a high responsibility. No, that puts us all in a high responsibility. We all have the word of God in us. We are all charged to share it. All of us. I didn't hear any amens. I'm, I'm the, view, the view just got very lonely up here. It's, aren't we? Man, we are. The prophets prophesy falsely. Do you think God will, you know, someone comes to you, do you, do you think I could still go to heaven even though I'm an XYZ religion and I despise everything Jesus said? Oh, I'm sure God wouldn't mind. What? Or to say it like a man, what? I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> Can it get any worse? Yeah, because it goes on and it says, and the priests rule at their direction. The prophets were saying things to people they wanted to hear. Oh, man, this is what is so appalling. This is what it says. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? There is coming a time when God will end this. So here's the question. I don't want my heart that hard. 
I want to live a God-pleasing life. And it's got to happen by something starting in here. I want God to have way in my heart. So here's the question. Can you open your heart to God? That's the first question. Can you? Are you prepared to let God have his way in your life? Second question. Does your heart belong to Jesus Christ? You want to live the kind of life that's going to bring you the most pleasure, excitement, joy, fun and happiness? You need to give your life to Jesus. It's that simple. Because if you don't, it says your sin will rob all those things from you. Let's pray. Father, help us to be the kind of people that live a God-pleasing, God-honouring life. Help us, oh God, not to have hard hearts, but hearts that melt in your word. Lord, we read in this passage that your word is like fire. Help our hearts to melt like chocolate not to become hard like clay. Now, if you're here and you're listening to me right now and you know that you don't have the kind of life that pleases God, you are not living the kind of life that brings God pleasure, then I invite you right now, you are one step away from God. You might think you're a million miles from him, but what you don't know is that God has been on your case. God has been on your case. You are one step away. Just turn around and come back to God. And you turn around and come back to God from your heart with a prayer that says, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, I want to please you. I want to come home. And what you need to know is that step that you must take has been made possible because Jesus Christ took the penalty of all your sin of all your lack of righteousness and he died on the cross in your place so that you could have everything that your heart really truly aches and longs for. Will you give your life to Jesus? Perhaps there's someone here today. Perhaps you're here today and you've never fully surrendered to God. Please give your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you. Now, Lord, I pray for us, the church, that we might know the love of God the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What's your spiritual condition? Is your heart open to God? Don't be deceived. Seek God. More from Jeremiah next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Part 11, An Appalling and Horrible Thing, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.